Holy Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, The child is destined for the failing and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. And that moment... At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, please fill our hearts as we listen to your word and change us into the image in which we were created, the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Probably the first creed and confession of early Christians. Jesus is Lord. Short and simple. But in our Christian and post-Christian cultures, these words might seem quite harmless and even maybe a bit cliché. Our cultures have heard so much about Jesus that his name, it seems, has lost its radicality. But in the first century, confessing Jesus is Lord was far from harmless. 
in the first century claiming that Jesus is Lord was an act of rebellion and treason. Because claiming that Jesus is Lord meant refusing these titles to others, to those who claim to be Lords. Claiming that Jesus is Lord meant proclaiming Caesar is not. Luke writes his gospel in the way that biographers of his time would write about their emperors. The, the emperors were portrayed as the sons of gods, born under miraculous circumstances. And yet the story of Jesus is radically different. He is not born into wealth and power, like the rest of the rulers of his time. He is born to a humble maiden, into an ordinary family in modest conditions. Jesus proves his divine sonship not by abusing his power and authority, not by violence and intimidation, but through humble service and self-sacrificing love. He conquers not lands through military force and killing, but conquers hearts through acts of mercy. He shows favor and grace not to those he can have some political or personal gain from, but to those who were abused by the Caesars of their day, the meek, the poor, the persecuted. Jesus' birth presents a threat to the status quo, to the powers that claim to rule the earth. But proclaiming that baby Jesus, whose birth we remember and celebrate during this season, is Lord, is not harmless, even today. Because to say that Jesus is Lord, we are automatically taking away this title from the rulers of today, from the tyrants that enslave us, from unjust systems, from abusers exploiting bosses, and in the end, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord takes away our own rights to call ourselves the Lords of our lives. Proclaiming that Jesus is Lord takes away the title of Lord from our own ego as well, who is more often than not the most oppressive tyrant in our lives. But this, this is good news, because God's kingdom that came among us in Jesus is different from all the other kingdoms of this, of this world. God's kingdom is better than any utopia that we can imagine for our own lives. Because God knows our, our most inner being and our deepest desires. And because of this, we can joyfully proclaim that Jesus is Lord. What is striking in Luke's account in the Gospel reading we read today is the universality of God's Kingdom. In today's text we read about a baby, a young mother, an old widow. We read about both a man and a woman prophesying about the redemption of God's people. We read about the light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. Right from the start, Luke is painting a picture of God's eternal purposes that are being revealed through Jesus. 
God's kingdom is not limited to any race, ethnicity, nationality, caste, social origin, age, or gender. God's kingdom incorporates both men and women, Israelites and Gentiles, young and old, married and single, and is calling all to bring about its purposes. The kingdom of God includes Mary and Joseph, ordinary married couple just living their quiet, devout, everyday life. It still invites and calls today the ordinary married couples who live out their calling to married life and through it bring joy and hope not only to their own families and other married couples but also to everyone seeking love by opening their homes and hearts and offering a helping hand. The kingdom includes a widow who never left the temple but worshipped night and day fasting and praying. And it still includes today even those who are sick and bedbound and feel maybe useless and worthless. God's kingdom is working through them as well, through their prayers, stories, talks and presence. In God's kingdom no one is deemed unnecessary, useless or worthless. Everyone is made in the image of God and as such is called to reflect God's image in their own life, in their own way, to those around them. For everyone is crowned not only with dignity that comes from being created in God's image, but also with a divine purpose. The kingdom also includes a baby. Our Lord, by taking on himself the form of a child, blessed and consecrated childhood and highlighted the, 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 the dignity of children that was and still is so often ignored and trampled upon by neglect, abuse, exploitation and depreciation. And not only that, but our Lord sets children up as examples by proclaiming that no one can enter God's kingdom if they do not have the faith like the little ones. When describing the birth of Christ, Luke described the shepherds as coming to worship the one through whom God has promised to restore God's whole creation. Similarly, Evangelist Matthew described the Magi, or the wise men, most probably Zoroastrian priests and scholars, who also came down to bow down to the newborn king. So God's kingdom includes both the so-called blue-collar workers and the so-called white-collar workers. Those with, more, those with more privilege and those who are underprivileged. God's kingdom works through every vocation because every vocation that is done in God's name brings love to one's neighbor. Even, though, even through those jobs that society scorns. The Magi they were not a part of the chosen people. They were Gentiles, like we said, most probably Zoroastrians, meaning they belonged to a different religion. On top of that, they were most probably practicing astrology, a discipline that was prohibited by God as dangerous, when they saw the Bethlehem star that brought them to Jesus. And yet God used this to bring them to Jesus. The Christmas stories 
tell us that God truly does work in mysterious ways. The fact that, that God became a baby is the most striking example of this. But we can see God working mysteriously even in the lives of people who have maybe wrong ideas about God, as we all do to some extent. And God brings God's kingdom even through them. God is active in the life of every individual and is calling them, inviting them, and using them for His purposes to bring forth love, joy, peace, and justice. In today's Gospel reading, everyone mentioned belongs to the covenant people of God, Israel. But Simon sees in Jesus the one who will fulfill the hope of the Hebrew Scriptures, the one to save not only Israel, but even the nations, the Gentiles, those whom Israelites very often saw as inherently godless, sexually immoral, and morally corrupt. And yet Simon rejoices that God's kingdom is not an exclusive club of one nation and one race, but incorporates even those uh, we might feel maybe uncomfortable sitting next to at the Lord's table. Through Jesus, God is claiming not just one nation as God's own, but is reclaiming the whole creation, every nation for himself. God wants to dwell among us and rejoices at our variousness. In our own congregation, Bratislava International Church, we have the privilege and a blessing to experience the diversity of God's chosen people. The blessing of many languages, cultures, races, nations, and people coming together to give thanks to our Lord for what He has done and what He continues to do for us. At BSC, we experience a little sneak peek into that glorious future when all nations will sit at the Lord's table and live together in perfect harmony and love. The Christmas stories keep reminding us that God's kingdom is not like the earthly kingdoms. It is radically different. God is king. And yet, he's a different kind of a king. While the earthly kings, presidents, prime ministers rule through violence, intimidation, sowing division, hatred, and fear of the other, Jesus, our true king, rules nonviolently through love, peace, and joy. But let us not be fooled. Love, peace, and joy, these are not passive virtues. Living for God's kingdom means actively living for love, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and the imprisoned, forgiving the enemy, preaching truth and love, sacrificing for others, telling them the good news of God's kingdom that has arrived in Jesus. And these are not passive or easy things. They require much discipline, practice, study of scripture, prayer, the sacraments, and the mutual encouragement of others living for God's kingdom. They require us to look the world into the eye and say, No, I shall not be conformed to your violent and dehumanizing ways. I will follow Jesus and his way of self-sacrificing love instead. Because that is the most powerful force in the whole universe. Because that is the only force that has the power 
that change our hearts. The Christmas story truly is the good news for all people of, God, of good will. It is a story of our rightful king returning to reclaim his realm and to liberate God's people from the bondage of sin, death, oppression, injustice, persecution, abuse and all the works of the devil. Although he comes as a baby, he is far from powerless. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that changes everything. Amen.